0: To another edition of the Men's Advocate Show with me, your host Linda Gross. I am fired up about today's show. Guess what, people? It's my 100th episode. I am so proud to uh, serve you and love having you as my listening audience. I hope you will participate and and share this show and others with your friends. Okay, today we are talking about the Kentucky Derby. It's coming up this weekend, we're going to be talking about horses, betting traditions, bourbons, cigars, and custom hats, and more. It's the 143rd edition of the Kentucky Derby, and it is upon us, um, and upon us is some of the, some are the finest horses and jockeys in the world who will compete at the world-famous Churchill Downs for their place in racing history. Today, we're going to be joined with my special guest, uh, bourbon and history expert Michael Hack, cigar expert Cigar de la Pena, and racing and betting expert Louis Estrella. And we are off, aren't we? All right. If you happen to have missed last week's show or you want to catch up on any of the previous shows, please download my new mobile app. It's available um, on, on iP- iPhones as well as the Android android users and you can listen live and also on demand last week's show was about hetero flexible are the gender lines getting more and more fluid and how and why is this happening so you won't want to miss that so anyway come on back here we are going to be talking about horses today and more and i'm so excited to have you here so there's going to be 20 horses who will compete for the $2 million purse, but only three of these lucky three-year-olds will be declared the winner on Saturday. Saturday. My show, Michael, for joining us today.
1: Thank you, and um, congratulations on your 100th uh, show, Linda. Okay.
0: Thank you so much. And let me also introduce Scott de la Pena of... Hermosa Cigars. Welcome, Scott, to our show.
2: Thank you both for having me. appreciate it. Awesome. Congratulations as well.
0: Thank you so much. Before we get into the horse racing uh, subject, I have a uh, related topic, a topic that's near and dear to my heart, virtual reality, because I love technology. And... I just read this article that I just found to be fascinating. It said no longer will you have to pine away to get a tour of the bourbon trail in Kentucky. Cutting technology of virtual reality is coming to your town. Jim Bean is rolling out a promo for their new bourbon which merges their target demographic technology adopters. And a bar in the crowd, how it's made. They start in the pipes of the bur- bourbon still, traveling through a rack house, a flaming barrel lid into a barrel, and eventually your drink awaits you in a shot glass after you have removed your VR glasses. Um, what do you think about that, guys? Since you're both uh, tangentially related uh, to the movie business, what do you well, think of I th- VR? I th-
1: I think you're making me thirsty with that description. <laughs> well, VR I'm thirsty. Great. VR sounds good, but uh, boy, I gotta say, as as interesting as it is, uh, I think it's better with other applications than sipping a verb. At least for me.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree. I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, to tour the grounds and, and see the process, sure. Uh, but tasting, that's, uh, that's interesting. <laughs> no, the,
0: ta- the taste is real. They give you a real shot, you know, at the end of the virtual reality tour. Uh, it's just gosh. that the, tour, oh, the tour is virtual.
2: I see.
1: Now I we see. need a, l- a little sm- smell add to that. It'll complete the picture. Yeah, there you go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Well, while we're on that subject, let's uh, have Michael join us uh, for this segment. He is our history and bourbon expert. Michael, please tell us a little bit about the history of the Kentucky Derby.
1: Well, as you mentioned, it's the 143rd uh, annual Kentucky Derby this year. Uh, It started in 1875, and um, it's the longest continuously running sporting event in America. Whereas other sports, baseball, it all may have stopped for the wars that we had. Uh, the Kentucky Derby never stopped. So it is the longest continually running. Uh, it was, uh, you know, back in, in Kentucky, you know, that's where the horses were bred in that Kentucky bluegrass in that region. And, uh, you know, I, I will say this. Let me jump back a bit because it will connect it with bourbon. Uh, they call it Kentucky bluegrass because there's a lot of limestone. That's where the Mammoth Cave, you know, National Park and the Mammoth Caves are. And there's a lot of limestone in that area, which is used for bourbon, but it also is in the the, the ground and it grows that bluegrass. And so, you know, water it has a lot to do with a lot of things that we consume. And if the water is good, then that product is good. And um so and that's and that's true with that region too. So anyway, that Kentucky bluegrass region that started as the uh Louisville Jockey Club. It's in Louisville, Kentucky. And um then, then they started doing, they just started it. They just began a tradition in 1875, and it's been going ever since.
0: I love hearing that. That sounds really great. And then you're also going to fill us in on this fancy drink called the Mint Julep. Now, at the Derby, they only sell 90 of these cups. It's a special edition cup made uh, annually for the race itself. And it costs $1,000 a drink. Wouldn't you know it? (laughs) And there are a few key ingredients that, you know, drive the cost up so high in addition to the cloud and, you know, it's the special circle of people that get to drink this drink. So tell us a little bit about what you know on the mint julep.
1: Well, uh, about the mint julep you're speaking of, I think they've been doing it, I don't know, about uh, 12 years now or so uh, with that that $1,000 julep. Now, that's not the typical julep, but what it really is, they give you a... Uh, um, a silver cup, and they give you a gold straw, and uh, you get this special, special mint julep. But really, it's the proceeds, it's a fundraising that goes to a chair, a different charity every year. But oh, nice. uh, that's yeah, that's that special uh, mint julep, which uh, some people go for.
0: Now, the four elements supposedly are special: uh, a rare chocolate mint, bourbon, smoke, sugar, and ice water made from rainwater from a, flown in from Australia, and then a small batch of the Master Distiller's premium bourbon. So I guess it's like a special edition bourbon or something that they're using.
1: Sounds like a punchline in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what, if we can talk about maybe the, the standard mint julep, you know, that's the high-end julep. Uh, but the standard Kentucky mint julep that the ladies and gentlemen have been drinking since at the Derby since the 30s, yeah. which I'm kind of suspecting that had to do with Prohibition, which ended in 1933. So uh, they brought out as much alcohol as they could, I'm sure, after 33, and the julep was one of them that started the tradition at the, at the Derby. Now, if I may, I'd like to talk about you know the mint julep, how one's made, how you can make batches, how you can make a single, and that sort of thing
0: yes by by all means i think you can make it at home for less than four bucks <laughs> so, yeah I no, think you nowhere can. near the the four digit <laughs> price tag <laughs>
1: no it's, it's just a couple of uh a couple of ounces of, of good bourbon and i say good bourbon to me a higher proof bourbon because there's a lot of ice used in that drink which will water it down so you want to use a higher proof for me preferably a 90 to 100 proof bourbon mm-hmm. and uh and then you muddle cement. This is a single. Then you muddle cement in there. You put a little a, a teaspoon of sugar. And you stir it. And there you have it. But let me give your listeners a really good formula for, I think, the perfect Kentucky bourbon, uh, Kentucky mint julep. So here, here we go. Are you ready?
0: Yeah, please do.
1: <laughs> okay. We'll make a simple syrup first. So, you know, you take a cup of water, simple syrup, a cup of water. Uh, a cup of sugar, and you melt that, you put it on the stove, and you heat that until that sugar is dissolved. And then you take about 12, 15 sprigs of mint and place it in there after the sugar is dissolved. You let it boil for another minute, and then you cool it. You put it in the refrigerator overnight. Oh. So when you take that simple syrup out of the refrigerator the next morning, uh, you drain off the uh, the leaves, so you just have a mint-infused simple syrup mm-hmm. and it's wonderful but you just take that and then you mix about four parts simple syrup to one part i'm sorry i'll, I'll back up there four parts bourbon to one part simple syrup and so with those five parts you get really the perfect mint julep now you want to you want to use a um, garnish that with a stalk of of mint so that so whoever drinks that um, their nose goes into the mint. So the, the smell of that is part of the taste. Now, I, I fail to say, though, before you do that, you, have, you pack it full all the way to the brim with crushed ice. And then you put a couple of ounces into that crushed ice. And as, the, as the, uh, uh, the person drinks the drink, the warmth from their hand will melt that ice and it will go into the drink. So it's a real sipper. You sip on that all afternoon in the hot sun, in Kentucky and everywhere else.
0: I love that. Now, since they're making such a big deal about this ice, this rainwater that's being flown in from Australia, is there a particular type (laughs) of water that the user should use?
1: Well, yeah, uh, you should use, you know, you shouldn't use tap water. In Kentucky, they use the limestone water, which they make the bourbon with. You should use that.
2: Spring water. Yeah,
1: Spring water, anything that doesn't have a lot of you know, city Too water, kind of stuff in it. right. Anything pure, any kind of pure water. Certainly I wouldn't use distilled water, but, uh, anything other than that, like you said, spring water, uh, in Kentucky, it's limestone water, but anything pure because water is the main ingredient, whether we drink coffee or whether we drink bourbon, it's always the main ingredient. So the water has to be good. Right.
0: Absolutely. Very good. Now, Scott, you had a, a comment to me off air that you had actually went home and tried the uh, the mint julep. And what were your comments with that? I think you actually tried it along with your cigar. What what was the feedback on that?
2: Uh, it, it was good. It was good. I mean, I I, I compared it to basically an American mojito. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And. Uh, I, I don't think i had had one before. I mean, I've had mojitos, obviously, but uh, I had not had a uh, mint julep. so that was uh, my initial experience with it. But it, it was good, and it paired nicely. Typically, I, I don't pair a uh, cigar with a sweet drink, but I figured mm-hmm. for the show's, show's yeah. sake, uh, I would.
0: <laughs> and so, you said... You said that it rendered you a uh, peaty and and smoky flavor yeah, to it.
2: Yeah, because you you know you get you pick up the characteristics of the of the bourbon, um, but uh, the mint does a pretty good job of, of diffusing it. Uh, so it's it's very subtle. Uh, it's not it's not as pronounced, obviously, as as if you're drinking it neat or or on ice.
0: Mm-hmm. Very good. Okay, Michael, and you were telling us that um, unlike Budweiser and cigarettes, uh, (laughs) these two products have nothing added, no added chemicals, meaning uh, the bourbon and the cigars that we're going to talk about in just a bit. So why did that happen or how did it not happen? How did the bourbon and cigar escape uh, the chemicals that are so common in our foods and products today?
1: Well, I'll let Scott speak to cigars, but I'll start with the bourbon here. Um, yeah. It, it's it's an all-American product. In 1964, it was declared America's native spirit, like wine might be France's or, or uh, vodka might be another country. Uh, bourbon, not just whiskey, but bourbon whiskey is America's native spirit. Mm-hmm. And uh, it started way back in really about 1783 when they uh, came to this country from From Europe and they settled this country they were drinking whiskey then but they still wanted their whiskey but uh, a whiskey is made from grains primarily and they what the grain that was most prominent here was corn because that's also native to America Um, so they started uh, the three ingredients in bourbon is corn rye and barley three main ingredients they sometimes use wheat instead of rye but it's typically corn rye and barley And so the settlers started making their whiskey and it was uh, really like moonshine because when you distill whiskey for the first time, you're distilling it clear, like vodka, for instance. Mm -hmm. And then you put that into the barrel and and that is what gives its brown color. Any any brown spirit has been barreled in some way. Uh, So it just started to become you know they started uh, drinking that it's uh uh it's it has to be it it has it's one of the most restricted um, regulated products in america because it goes way back because it has to be at least 51 percent corn has to be uh aged in new oak barrels not not used ones new where scotch is aged and used bourbon is, has to be new and uh it has to be at least two years old but it's typically more than that and, and bourbon can be uh, mature at anywhere between 8 and 10 years old. It doesn't have to be as old as scotch. And that's because of the barreling, where scotch uses new uh, old barrels and used barrels, so you have to age it longer. It's like buying someone else's chewing gum. <laughs> the first guy gets all the sugars, and that's the bourbon. And the second guy, you have to chew it longer. So it has to be in the barrel longer for scotch. So bourbon is a really good drink that way, and they can keep the price down because of that. Um, a a fifty-dollar bottle of bourbon is fantastic. You don't have to spend a hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. It's uh, uh, and it's uh, it's been around a long time, and and there are so many different proofs of bourbon. They go anywhere from eighty, which is the lowest it can be by law, up to one hundred and forty. Whereas Scotch and other ones, you know, they can hover between typically eighty, maybe ninety, and there's some exceptions. But bourbon goes that range. I mean, Maker's Mark is ninety, Jim Beam is eighty uh george t Stagg is 140 bookers which is a jim bean product is 126 so it really varies and uh it's not about the alcohol and the high proof it's really about flavor the higher the proof the less uh, the more flavor you have and the less, less it's been diluted because the only way to proof down a bourbon or any spirit is to add water they proof it about 126 It uh, comes out of the barrel And they proof it down to whatever they want it to be, 80 or 90. So you're drinking water there. So the higher the proof, the more flavor. Okay, I'll stop talking. I could go on and on.
0: (laughs) 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 And tell us about um, the the nature of the state of Kentucky. Uh, I've been hearing bourbons like popping up in Texas and other states as well now. But tell us the distinction. What is so important about the state of Kentucky?
1: Primarily is that they've been doing it longer than anyone else. And it's not like Coca-Cola where you can just start stepping up production and get more out the door. Mm-hmm. The, the, the process of any kind of uh, spirit like this, it takes time, especially if it's in a barrel. So if there's a run on bourbon now and it's popular, if they start making it now, you're not going to taste it for 10 years. So you have to kind of anticipate your market 10 years ahead, say, if not Mm -hmm. longer, as to what it's going to be. So, um, And as far as the the Texas, Colorado, and the other states, you can still make bourbon and call it bourbon. It doesn't have to be made in Bourbon County, Kentucky um, at all. It just has to be made in America. But, you know, those distilleries, uh, if you really check into their product, and this is not a put-down of their product at all, but if you check into their product, it's usually very young. It's two years old. Maybe four years old. Can you imagine going into a business where you start it, you put in all that money into it, but you can't make a profit for at least two, two to four years? Even start Crazy. because it has to be almost eight, as bad as the job. wine
0: business, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. where uh, somebody yeah. who's a brand new wine uh, wine owner, owner they, it takes them like five years, I guess, before they turn any profit. Sure.
1: Yeah or because you have to grow the grapes and, yeah. and there's certain aging in those barrels too. Yep. So yep. Uh, so there are other bourbons in those other states. Um, however, Kentucky has an advantage in that it started back in 18, about 1783, about 1783. So they've had all those seasons and all those years to perfect it, number one, and to store it and to to manufacture it and to make it. They can't, it, it doesn't have to get out the door quickly like it does maybe in some of those other startup states
0: Mm -hmm. very good all right well let's uh merge our conversation uh, with scott scott is uh the owner of hermosa cigars and he's gonna bring forward today a couple of uh, cigar options and then we're gonna see if we can pair them uh with uh, bourbon and also other brown spirits and also you mentioned Scott that you'd like to teach our audience on how to do the pairing at home. Like, you know, once you're in the store or you're online, like how do you figure this out uh, on your own? So go ahead, start with a couple of options. Maybe uh, let's go from a um, a mild to a medium to a robust type of cigar. Explain what those differences are and then how we're going to pair them with the brown spirits.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I, I would probably just, uh, I recommend a, a, medium bodied, uh, a mild bodied and a, and a full bodied uh, profile. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, every brand has a, has a different, uh, offering in, in those categories. Uh, so really you can, you can grab whatever your preference is and, and pair it with a, with a, a bourbon. Um, but typically, you know, much like, like, uh, like a bourbon maker, uh, us as cigar makers, we're, we're looking to accentuate and, and excel uh, specific uh, flavors or profiles within the, the tobacco that we're picking up. Um, and you'll get a lot of the same similar notes in, in your bourbons. But in terms of strength, um, you know, I, I would pair a, a more full-bodied cigar and uh, an example of that would be like a, uh, uh, what is it, the uh, LFD, um, La Flor Dominicana. And, uh, you know, I would pair that with like a Booker's, um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: yeah. you know, a, a very full-bodied, both of them very full-bodied. And, and uh, one isn't going to cancel out the other. The Booker's mm-hmm. tends to have a long finish, as does uh, La Flor Dominicana. Uh, but that's not for the uh, faint of heart. Uh, yep. <laughs> <you know.
1: laughs> Neither one of those.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's it's more for your for your seasoned grizzled old veteran, you know. Uh, but uh, if you want to do something nice, you know, if you're if you're a novice, uh, never really smoked cigars or anything. Uh, it, even my original blend is a nice uh, medium body. Uh, cigar that pairs really nice with a uh, oaky or peaty uh, bourbon, um, but another one that that people can just find anywhere would be like Macanudos. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's wrapped in Connecticut, uh, mm-hmm. and you can you can pair that with uh, any any uh, light-bodied uh, bourbon. It'll it'll pair nicely. You'll enjoy it. Uh, An example of a a light body would be like Evan Williams. Um, But also, you know, just looking for the specific characteristics, uh, like Michael was saying, you know, uh, obviously water matters in tobacco as well. Uh, And and something we touched on in the conversation, the terrain that it's grown in. Um, You know, Nicaragua has very black volcanic soil. Um, it drains very well. Um, the temperature, depending on the, is in the Jalapa Valley, is is really really hot, so you get a stronger, hardier leaf, um, and then the curing process um, tends to lend itself to a uh, to a bourbon because you get that that smoky uh, nuance, which is really really nice. Uh, and really Scott. Stock- nice.
1: Yeah. If I may say this, as we and I discussed actually the other day, mm-hmm. uh, for me, I'm a bourbon guy first. Right. right. And you're a cigar guy first. But to me, uh, the cigar comes first. in that I You agree. sit down, have that cigar, and then you pair the bourbon after Correct. that. Correct. I, I, that's the, I mean, that's why I think most people that I know, and that's what I do, is rather than I, say, I'm going to drink this and then pair a cigar, it's the other way around. Mm-hmm. The cigar takes the lead.
2: Right. It, it, because I think, you know, a cigar is more of a process. It's, you know, you're,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you have a specific place you're going to smoke it. Um, yeah. You know, depending on the the uh, mood in your house, uh, if you have mm-hmm. any, any family members who aren't exactly mm-hmm. keen on the cigar smoking, uh, <laughs> you may smoke outside or what have you. So it, it's not something where you just, you know, unlike my house where I'll just grab a cigar and light it and just have <laughs> it, you know, burning. Um, And then I can go grab a drink. But uh, Uh typically, most people are—it's an occasion when they when they smoke a cigar.
1: Um, I mean, I always always say you take the time, you crave the time to have the cigar, rather than craving the cigar itself. Right.
2: Exactly. Whereas you you might come home and just grab a drink. Um, It's not as momentous. Mm
1: -hmm. And if, if I can add too, that you were talking about venues to smoke a cigar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and back to the track, I mean, there there seems to be t- two public places you can smoke a cigar now in a casino mm-hmm. and at the track. Correct. Uh, everywhere else is pretty restricted, but uh, uh, yeah. and, and, and to the Kentucky Derby, they encourage it. They have huge uh, cigar stands yeah. on the grounds in in there to sell you a cigar so you Correct. can have that cigar and enjoy that race and that bourbon with it.
2: Yeah, it it's it's one of the last bastions of freedom.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah, so true. Uh
2: so yeah, it, it it's pretty nice. I mean it it's uh you know it's a uh hearkening back to better times.
1: Uh, kind I, I of always, a, I always say if there, if I'm gonna do something that Maybe I shouldn't be gambling. Maybe I shouldn't be drinking. Maybe I shouldn't be smoking. At least I can do all those three things at one time. Uh, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: You're going to do it. Do it right. right. Yeah, that's right. And,
0: do and, and get down before time, sundown, man. right? Get all, back all, before yeah. sundown. <laughs> all at once. Yeah. Boy, that's, that's a total bonus.
2: All, all my vices <laughs> at once, correct? Yeah, <laughs>
0: Yeah. Funny. Scott, tell us uh, tell our listeners a little bit about uh, your company, uh, how they can find you, and also you want to mention a special promo that you're offering.
2: Yeah, uh, well, they can find out about us at HermosaCigars.com, um, and there's a little bit of background on myself and the company, um, what we're doing. You can see all our cigars that we offer. Um, we've got a new cigar that we're about to introduce. Uh, which is the WBC uh, Which uh, should be coming In the next couple of months Which is a pretty nice cigar And we're also opening up Our own factory So uh, we're doing that now we're, we're, That's one of our first Orders is a WBC um, But it will it'll Fall under the Hermosa banner uh, But it, it's a, a friend of mine's company So we're excited about that. Uh, White Boy Chris, the jeweler, you can find him on, uh, he does jewelry primarily
0: Mm -hmm. on
2: Instagram and and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, so we're doing that and we're doing some house blends for for some uh, cigar lounges and of course my brands, which are the Tierra Santa, the uh, Hermosa Original, and the Coming Soon Samara. So that's what we've got going now and we're also starting our monthly subscription service which is cuban bouquet uh, and that's going to be available it'll be 20 cigars a bundle of 20 cigars delivered to your doorstep every month for 49.99 uh, great deal. yeah yeah and they're not they're not cheap cigars at all we we struck a deal with uh some factory owners, you know, you have these small cigar companies that come into the business and, and can't really survive and, and they go out of business before they ever start. And so the cigar makers are left with all these premium cigars that we're going to go to retail lounges that they've just got sitting on shelves. So they're they're willing to get rid of those for us at cost, um, which is really cool. It gives gives those guys a chance to recoup their... Their money and and uh, gives the smoker a chance to get a fantastic cigar at a really really reasonable price.
1: Hey everybody out there, that's a good deal. You you yeah. you call Scott on this one. That's a good one, Scott. Son- <laughs> You got it,
0: Michael. You got it. <laughs> so, by the way, I will put all these links on my Facebook fan page after the show so you don't have to worry. That's Scott De La Pena, owner of Hermosa Cigars, and that's HermosaCigars.com. And we also are joined by Michael Hack, uh, a re- returning guest on my show. Um, he seems to be my resident, ex- uh, resident expert on the Kentucky Derby and all things bourbon. So now we're going to turn our attention to bookies all right so we're going to talk about the horses the races how to choose one how to bet let's uh bring on my other expert and his name is luis estrella and uh he's going to talk to us about this history Louis, let's take it away wait welcome to our show how are Uh, you i'm doing wonderful thank you So, tell us a little bit about the Kentucky Derby. It's one leg of three legs of of, uh, the different horse races. Tell us how this particular horse race fits in and why is this one important?
3: Well, this is uh, the Kentucky Derby. Um, It only happens once a year. Uh, What it is, is it's a a horse race for three-year-olds only. So uh, you only have one opportunity as a horse to win this race. Um, it's when you're a three-year-old. Uh, when you you can't race it as a two-year-old, um, and you can't race it as a four-year-old. So you can only race it during your when you're a three-year-old. Um, it it is. It's the first leg of uh, what they call the Triple Crown uh, kind of series: uh, the, the Preakness uh, and then the Belmont Stakes, which will come up a few weeks after. Uh, the Kentucky Derby so for 150 years almost they've uh, run this year uh, run this race consistently and um, you know this year uh, again uh, light as is every year um, you, you know some years you tend to have a horse that that stands out in the field a little bit more uh, than others um, in years past we've had um, a couple of horses like that California Chrome, American Pharo. Uh, in recent years that that tended to dominate uh, their races before the Kentucky Derby that that obviously established them as um, clear favorites uh, to win the race. Um, this year it's a little different. You don't really have, uh, that kind of composition of the race, where you have a a, a horse that's dominated throughout the year, um, leading up to this, that, that would give you an indication that he's a kind of a clear-cut favorite. Um, and you know, just in general, the Derby uh, over the past uh, 20 years, even even 50 years, has kind of changed. But I want to say more so in the last. 10 to 20 years, horses don't race as often as they used to. You know, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, horses raced on a much more consistent basis, a couple of weeks, sometimes only a week out in between races. Nowadays, horses tend to wait uh, three or four weeks, sometimes even longer, in between races. So um, a prestigious race like this, more trainers now try to set themselves or set their horse up for this particular um, series of races, the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness, and the Belmont. Because they're all trying to win this prestigious race, some trainers will opt just to try and win this race only with their horses, and others will be trying to win all three of the races. As you get farther into this series, into the Preakness and the Belmont, the composition of the race is going to change, and some of the motives, I want to say for lack of a better word, of the reason why horses are in this race uh, end up in the, these uh, particular series of races. Again, this year, there there is no real clear-cut favorite, so it makes it, I think, a little bit more difficult. I've been hearing this said for a while now. A lot of people have thought that this year may produce a long shot or a horse who's going to pay Uh, A lot of money For your $2 win wager And it it is, it's quite possible It's just a little bit more competitive race this year
0: Would you say in general general, The classification classification of this horse horse, Their peak peak year year is the third year Or not really Some horses, their peak year is the fourth year Or maybe two and a half years
3: Yeah, usually um, most horses uh, tend to get better as they get a little bit older. Generally, they will say the four-year-old or the five-year-old season of most horses tends to be their best. Some three-year-olds will just mature a little sooner to where they will... uh, tend to be the, the, the best horse around. Um, I'm completely brain farting but I'm trying to think of last year's uh, Breeders' Cup winner who beat California Chrome who was a three year old, uh, did not run in the uh, Kentucky Derby last year uh, was out and then came back right, but, okay. um, but as a three year old ended up beating the four year olds and five year olds at the end of the year so some horses will tend to peak early Uh, their three-year-old season some they take a little longer Um, it won't happen until their four four four-year-old or their five-year-old season Um, and in general a lot of times most uh, uh, the female uh, horses the fillies and mares um, tend to the fillies uh, that's a a horse who's not uh, is a female horse that's up to four years old. When they turn five years old, they become a mayor. In general, girls tend to mature uh, a little sooner than boys. So sometimes you will have two-year-old girls who will actually outrun two-year-old boys. It's not uncommon. There have been girl runners who have run in the Kentucky Derby in the past. The last one, I believe, was either Winning Colors or Genuine Risk. I can't remember the year. Both of those were both girls who ended up winning the Kentucky Derby. So it does uh, girls do beat the boys only because um, in their younger years, they tend to match up a little bit better physically against the boys. But as they get older, the boys tend to then become the stronger of the, of the sexes of the horses. But this is you know, open to any three-year-old. So uh, there was talk uh, earlier on the equivalent to the Kentucky Derby for the girls is called the Kentucky Oaks which they will run on Friday, the day before the Kentucky Derby. And there's actually a horse uh, that is the favorite now uh, that they're talking about. It will probably open up as the favorite um, Paradise Woods who was actually nominated when it was a a yearling, a one-year-old, the owners thought enough of this horse that they actually nominated it and paid entry fees so that it would be eligible for the Kentucky Derby. This horse is not going to run in the Kentucky Derby, but she will run in the Kentucky Oaks and right now is the favorite. Again, this year, it it is kind of interesting that it is a little bit more contentious, that you really don't happen to have any clear-cut favorite going into it. A lot of the talk also is, as this year seems to be, which uh, in a lot of years tends to be, this Kentucky Derby, this is the first time horses have ever run this far in their career. So they've never run this far, and a lot of times what will happen is because there'll be 100,000 or more people um, there at the grounds, When they get out onto the racetrack and right before they start the race, a lot of the horses will tend to get excited and start to get kind of a nervous energy. And what will tend to happen is, is the race tends to get run faster than the horses are able to really run the race. So a lot of times you'll see horses that will kind of come from out of the back of the pack at the end of the race and start passing horses as they come down the stretch and it's just because a lot of them are not conditioned they've never run this far because of the the excitement in the crowd they will run the the race they'll run faster than they normally would and so when they come down the stretch they'll start to tire sooner and that's why you'll start to see some of them, uh, a, a lot of horses start to pass some of these uh, what they would consider a front runner a horse who's gonna run out in the front early on in the race when so you, When
0: you say when the that they've not they run this far, is it because this year's track is a little bit longer, or these uh, particular horses haven't been exposed to this length?
3: They've just never been exposed to this length. Uh, in their two-year-old season, uh, when they're two-year-olds, they tend not to race them past uh, one mile. Most racetracks tra- race have a configuration where the dirt track will be one mile in length. Um, some race tracks it's longer, it'll be a mile and an eight or a mile and a 16. Churchill Downs is a mile oval track. They'll end up go uh, racing two turns. Normally in their two year old season, they'll only race three quarters of a mile, and so it only ends up being one turn. They race down the back stretch into the turn, and then down the the home stretch which is right in front of the grandstands where they finish so it's just that because they're younger horses they they tend not to Uh, race them at these longer distances just to keep them sound so that you don't hurt the animal and they do have a uh, a more of a career longevity wise got you
0: now do the other two races the Preakness and the Belmont Stakes do they also have a a three-year-old age requirement
3: Yes, it is. Those races are also just for three-year-olds only.
0: All right, so let's take a look at a uh, couple of the horses. Uh, have you picked out your favorites yet, or are there ones to watch? How are you uh, booking it this year?
3: You know, um, the 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 real key to, I think, the Kentucky Derby, as is a lot of races, uh, big races like this, is you want to find a horse who is able to uh What they say, what they term handle the track. Some horses will run better at other tracks because they like that dirt footing better than the track they just came from or the track that they're going to end up going to. So, what I tend to do is I will listen to the reports from the horses that are working out at Kentucky, uh, at Churchill Downs there for the last couple of weeks. And you'll tend to get a feel for. The horses who are handling the track well. Um, in other words, they're just they're running over the surface fine. They're getting their footing down. They're not slipping on it. That kind of thing. Again, every track has a little bit different comp- composition. Dirt tracks in New Mexico are different than dirt tracks in California. Yet it's still a dirt track. They're going to be different than the tracks, uh, say, in New York or in the Midwest, in Chicago or anywhere in the country. So it's always best to try and listen to uh, the people who are uh, at the track there that are watching all the workouts leading up to this race and find out horses who seem to be doing well. Um, at that track and are getting over that particular dirt surface without any uh, problems. And there's been a couple of horses that I've been kind of watching, and I keep hearing that are doing okay, that are working out really well there. A horse who is probably going to be one of the favorites uh, by the name of Always Dreaming. He, his last race, he just won the Florida Derby a few weeks ago, so he's he's one of the favorites, and they say he's been um, taking to the track quite well. He's got a lot of energy, seems to be on the muscle, seems to be doing really well. The couple of things though, that he, for, for whatever reason, seems to be kind of acting up at the track. So whether it's just a new track, and the surroundings, uh, you know, he's been acting up a little bit. So I'm a little hesitant at how, as to how he's going to react when 100,000 people, he steps out onto the track and he's got 100,000 people screaming at him. A mm-hmm. um, couple other horses that were working really well have a chance this year, and you might get a better price on. A horse by the name of Practical Joe, who's been working out really well there, I kind of had my eye on. Another horse uh, by the name of Gervin. he uh, didn't ship to uh, Churchill Downs there till just uh, this week. So he hasn't really been out at the track there. I don't know how he's going to handle the track, but he's been, um, say he looks really good. I kind of liked his pattern, the way he's coming into the race. He just, you know, I think, again, for looking at a horse that might be a little bit of a price or a long shot, he looked good. A couple other horses, let's see, that have been working really well. State of Honor, probably going to be another one of your favorites, has, has looked really well. Kind of his two-year-old season seemed to be kind of just, you know, not really, didn't seem to get what racing was about. His three-year-old season, he's kind of turned into a new animal. He seems to have figured out why he's onto the racetrack, and he's done really well. I just kind of like the way he seems to be coming into the race, uh, that he should run a good race, and he's been doing well. Uh, Another horse who's been working out really well is uh, Taprit. Tappert's been doing really well on the grounds there. He's been working good, looks good. I'm a little leery on him. I'm not really sure w- what to make of him. So I, I'm kind of going to wait and see how his odds are on, on Derby Day, whether he's a, a good bet or not. Another horse that's prob- probably going to be one of the other favorites is Hence. Hence, uh, they say, has been working really good there. Looks really good. I'm just a little concerned with him. His last race, he ran the kind of the race of his life. And I'm just afraid that he might have, that race might have taken a little bit out of him, that he might uh, regress a little bit from that race. Uh, coming into the derby So to me Is kind of a play against I think if you're gonna If you're looking to get A better price He'll he'll get bet And I think he has Some things, issues That he, he's gonna have to Take care of Whether that last race uh, Took too much out of him Or not And uh, let's see A couple other horses I think there was Another horse Battle of Midway Has been, they say Looks good out there Kind of got a little bit Of an interesting pattern Another lightly raced horse Can definitely improve Not really sure what he's going to do, though, I, I tend to think he'll do okay. Jerry Hollendorfer, one of the a Hall of Fame trainer, he knows what to do with horses, and I don't think that he would have taken this horse uh, all the way to Churchill if he didn't think that the horse had a, a legitimate chance of winning. So, I think Battle of Midway's got a chance to win this. Also, another horse that there are, a lot of people are going to be betting is McCracken. McCracken apparently has been looks really good out there. How he's going to handle the track, I'm not really sure. But he's kind of got a little bit of an interesting pattern. I think that gives him a legitimate shot uh, to win the race as well.
0: Gotcha. Let's let's shift gears a little bit to uh, sure. the bet the bets themselves because we just have a couple minutes left. So for the novice better, uh, would you say because there's no clear-cut winner this year, should the person spread out their bets? Maybe you know, instead of just betting it all on one horse or two horses, should they this year maybe spread it out over five or six horses? What's the strategy there?
3: Yeah, I mean I think if if you had ten dollars and you uh you liked four or five horses, I would bet you know $2 or however much you $5 whatever you feel comfortable with i would go ahead and bet the four or five different horses as long as you're going to get 10 to 1 on the horse as far as your odds when he goes off at, at post time the odds are really the the main factor if you're not going to get double digit odds then i would kind of cut back on your on the the amount that you're going to wager Obviously, a win bet. You know, the, the most common types of bets are the win, place, and show bets. When you bet a horse to win, that's that's he has to come in first. If you bet a horse to place, he can come in first or second, and you'll still win your bet. But you do need to look up at the um, at the payouts because you do get more when you win a horse when you bet him to win then you do betting him to place so there's different payouts for each position that you bet the horse to to finish in whether you bet him to finish first whether you think he can finish first or second or you think he'll finish first second or third that's a show bet if you're gonna bet him to show that's the safest bet also which this year um, might actually be a, a, another way to bet you can bet a horse to show and as long as he finishes in third place or better you're gonna collect a payout and again uh, this year being kind of such a contested race if the favorite doesn't finish in the top three those show payouts will pay more uh, than they normally would so this might be a year that you hope the favorite doesn't run uh, in the first second or third position and you bet a horse just to show and he finishes in the top three um, you could literally bet three horses to show and you could win all three bets because one could win, one could run second, and one could finish third. And if you bet all three of them to show, you'd win uh, all three of those bets. Uh, so again, that might be another way to play this year just because if the favorite finishes out of the money, that, that those show payouts do go up. That's a good good way to win, make a winning bet. You have three chances of winning. He has to finish first, second, or third.
0: That's really so good that, advice. I like that. So yeah. tell us how, uh, just briefly, how did you get into horse racing and betting?
3: I think probably like everybody else, their parents took them out to the racetrack one day and I think I just kind of fell in love with it. I think the racetracks tend to be changing a little bit nowadays. They're trying to make them more family oriented. Um, When I was a kid, you know, many decades ago, my parents literally would take us in the wagon, just drag us into the wagon, into the (laughs) infield. I'm out here on the West Coast. I have a beautiful racetrack I get to go to all the time, Santa Anita. Just a beautiful setting against the San Gabriel Mountains there. They have a great infield big grass lawn that we would just bring like the bucket of KFC or sandwiches from the local deli shop and uh, go out and have a little picnic on the infield. You bring your drinks and sit and watch the races and, you know, bet on a couple of horses. So uh, I always had a lot of fun like that. And I just kind of got, I think, uh, back into that, go, going out to the uh, infield there, bring a little sack lunch um, with a girlfriend or your friends, and um, just having a good time out uh Getting outdoors and trying to win some money.
0: Awesome! Thank you so much, Louis, for joining our program. What an outstanding presentation you gave us! I think the listeners uh, have a have a lot of uh, homework homework to do, but I think you've made their path a little bit easier. I really appreciate your being on the show.
3: Well, thank you, Linda, and uh, good luck to all the viewers.
0: Thank you so much. And. And there goes Louis. He Louis Estrella. He's our racing and betting expert. Boy, what a mouthful! So I think the, the flavor this year is there's no clear-cut winner. Place your your um, place bets and uh, go for the third place position. And if they get third, second, or first, you will win money. So he's saying spread your bets evenly among five or six. Uh, horses rather than putting it all on one. Thanks everybody for um, joining us today on my 100th anniversary. Uh, we are talking today about the Kentucky Derby. We have on my guest, my history and bourbon expert, M- Michael Hack, and also uh, uh, S- uh, Scott De La Pena of Hermosa Cigars. Thank you, gentlemen, for uh, joining me today.
2: Thank you, Linda. My pleasure.
0: All right, and if you happen to have loved the show, please listen, call, like our fan page, follow, comment, share, tell a friend, and download my app. Next week, our upcoming show is going to be Live Like a Millionaire with author Marilyn Anderson, who is going to show you how to date on the cheap but look like a million bucks. We all need to learn how to do all those tricks, don't we? All right, everybody. Thank, thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you each and every Wednesday, 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. And thank you for joining the Men's Advocate Show. I
2: said blue moon, I can't talk, you just keep on shining.
3: Shine on the one that's going to let me blue. Well, blue moon, I can't talk, you just keep on shining. Shine on the one that's going to let me blue.